my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe, and you're listening to Climbing in Heels. This show is all about celebrating the most extraordinary superwomen who will be sharing their incredible journeys to the top, all while staying glamorous. Today, we're switching things up again, and we're jumping back in and talking more about my very long journey and work life. A quick reminder, if you haven't heard part one and part two, I would suggest going back and listening so you have a little more insight into my earlier parts of my career and where we left off because you know it's a bit of a blur to me. So back with me again, of course, is my producer and you know, I say chosen family, Mary Elizabeth with part three of Becoming Rachel Zoe. We are back, becoming Rachel Zoe, part three. So for all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to part one and part two, Rachel and I strongly suggest that you do. Did anybody care about one and two? They did. They did. <laughs> yeah. They re- No, they really did. People uh, have been downloading the episodes, both of them. And on social, people have been commenting and DMing Climbing in Heels pod mm. about your life and career, which is very exciting. So we could set these up to do like part 39 if we really wanted to, but we (laughs) were... What do you mean? I'm only 26, so there isn't that much history. I know. It's so funny. I'm 26 too. So I thought we would do these in three chunks. So this is part three. Okay. You know you're going to slip into part four, so you're kidding. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Or I'm just going to let Roger do his own part four, like his retelling of your life and career. We ended mm-hmm. part two on a cliffhanger, if you will. You were nine months pregnant mm-hmm. with your firstborn. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, you were about to, quote unquote, give birth mm-hmm. to the Rachel Zoe collection. Yes. So 2011. That was, 2011, yep, 2011 was a banner year for you. That was one of the craziest years of my life, for sure. Oh, I'm sure. So I want to talk about Skylar first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, I think you would probably have to do 30 podcasts to talk, talk about, about my him. kids. Yes. But going back, what are some of your memories surrounding those early days of bringing your baby home mm-hmm. for the first time? Mm-hmm. How did you feel? You know, it's wild because I, I often say like on my social media and in interviews and things like that Skylar in many ways sort of saved my life. And, you know, I think people at the time, how I was living my life, I think people would sort of be like, how do you do it? How are you in this many places that, you know, living this schedule? I feel like you don't sleep. I feel like you don't this and you're always in a plane and always in a different country or whatever. And in hindsight, I'm like, I don't know how I actually lived that life, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I got pregnant. I don't want to say accidentally. I would say that I wasn't trying and I wasn't not trying. And I think it was something that I had thought was like two years away when it happened, which is so funny because I was already like an older mom. But I think in that moment, I was such a workaholic that I couldn't really see the reality of like what was to come. And on the one hand, like I knew that I was going to be a mother because, you know, my nickname has been Mama Zoe, I think since I was a teenager. And I just remember like, even while I was pregnant, I never stopped. I I had such, I was very blessed with like the easiest pregnancy with Sky. Like yeah. Just, I remember saying like, everyone's like, aren't you dying to get him out? And I was like, no, actually I could totally keep him in for like another six months. And you were definitely one of those women that was like, I love being pregnant. I did. I really did. <laughs> yeah. Not as much with Caius, but definitely with Sky. I loved it. He was super easy, brutal delivery, but like great, great pregnancy. But, but I think it was also a bit of a, uh, is it like a metaphor where it was sort of like, I was seeing, I don't. I think a couple of things. One, I was very happy to have him in my stomach and doing my life and working really hard. I will never forget like squatting down in fittings to pick shoes and fix trains and make hems on gowns and my clients and my team looking at me like, you have to stop squatting like that. Like they were just so <laughs> you anxious. will break your water. <laughs> yes, literally. Because I was literally like a down... You know how I sit. Like oh, I'll just squat down in like my heels. pretzel. And so not a lot changed. And then I think... I think when I had him and, you know, I think I've told you this before, but I remember going on the labor and delivery tour of the hospital and looking at Roger and literally I remember standing in the delivery room and looking at Roger going, I can't do this because there was such a panic. There was an overall panic figuratively and like literally because I think it was sort of, I was terrified to obviously push a human out of my body. Sure. But I was also terrified of like, how was I doing this? Right. Because there were, there were days where I didn't shower. There were days where I didn't sleep and just pulled all nighters. And I just was like, how in God's name am I going to be a good mom? Right. Right. And then I think when I had Sky, it was very traumatic, obviously, at the hospital. It came out not crying. He went into NICU for two days. I don't talk about that that much, but in hindsight, given that he's a happy, healthy boy, very I think we can talk about it. Young man. But yeah. um, terrifying. And I think I came home with this. I was so, I was so just blindly, polarizingly in love with him that I couldn't figure out how to get back to where I was, you know? And I, I very admittedly really like had my head just fully up my ass for a year. Like I just couldn't, 
I couldn't figure out how do I go back to being Rachel Zoe? Like, how do I go back to being that person? And ultimately what I figured out about a year later, and then when I had Caius, after that, I think that I wasn't supposed to be the same person. I really wasn't supposed to be the same person because that person wasn't sustainable. Um, At least not as a healthy human being and as a mother. Yeah, you needed to slow down. <laughs> I needed, you needed to slow down. to mm-hmm. have and something in your life yeah. big enough to slow you down and to sort of reshift your priorities. 100%. And I think as women in general, and I don't want to say just women because I think men too, but I know as women, we hold the bar so freaking high for ourselves that like we don't give ourselves the room to not be okay, to not be able to do a hundred things at once to, and then I think as a mother that is tenfold, right? Sure. So then I said, okay, I only care now that I'm the best mother that I could ever be in this lifetime, that I never, I'm going to leave my son. I'm taking him everywhere I go. I'm not going to miss one breath he takes. And, and by the way, I did that for like almost four years. I kind of didn't leave him, right? Like I would jump out for 24 hours. I would go, I think the longest trip I took was when he was four and Caius was one. And I went to Australia on a right. trip, which we were just talking about. Right. And I cried for 16 hours on the plane. But, you know, it's funny because of course he has no recollection of that. No. And you don't know that in the moment. You don't know that till you're like second, third or fourth kid. You're <laughs> like, oh, I can leave whenever I want. But, you know, having my collection that year and launching my own clothing line, it was the biggest, like it was one of the most successful launches in like contemporary line, historically, basically like every window of Bergdorf's, every window of Bloomingdale's, every like along Madison, every, all doors at this, all like 250 doors. And I just remember after the success of the collection, the launch, just being the Virgo that I am, one may say I'm a pessimist. I just call it a realist. I looked at Roger and I said, oh God, this should not be this big. This is terrifying because where do we go from here? How do we sustain this? How do we sustain this? And so it was really, really scary. But it was a very exciting year and a challenging one on many levels because I cut in In that time, So in that time where you said you, quote, had your head in your butt from (laughs) having the baby, did you feel like anxious about not knowing how to balance or was it just like you only it was like you were in the dreamy I was in the dreamy I was in the dreamy mom I was in the dreamy mom phase and I had also just come off just before I had sky about a month before I had sky um Anne Hathaway was hosting the Oscars so I also had like bronchitis and a sinus infection Um, and I was like nine months pregnant and she was hosting and we did like 13 outfits or something. And I was backstage and it was, it was a wild time. And I, I think after that, I think I, I was experiencing burnout. I think I was experiencing like, I don't want to miss this like nesting moment, but yet launching my collection was kind of the biggest thing I did career wise in about 10 years, you know? Yeah. And, and terrifying because you're out there in the universe and, there's no margin for error when you're a designer. There just isn't because you screw up like, you know, your collection. You're, it's like, it's like the life of an actor. You're yeah. only as good as your last film. Totally. You're, as a designer, you're only as good as your last collection. And that's, and people are going to say that's not true, but it actually is true. Right. It is true. And, um, and it was really scary. And so I just remember 
really focusing on motherhood and trying to pick and choose what was most important. Because I think the biggest learning that that happens when you become a, a like a working mother, yeah, is time efficiency. Sure. Yeah. And pri- and and priority. You know. Yeah. And Do you feel like you hard. at all in that time because you were taking on new titles like designer, mom, you were slowing your life down significantly as a stylist. Did you ever feel like you had any sort of like identity crisis moment of like, Mm -hmm. who am I now? Or That was really hard for me, all of it. And it was funny because I don't think I slowed down my styling until after Caius. So because I, because I remember very clearly having Caius and like 10 days after I had him being in a fitting with Jen Lawrence for the Oscars. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and she was like, are you okay? I was like, I'm great. Like I felt, you know what I mean? Like it was wild. And I think, I think I had a huge identity crisis and I think that's why I still tried to be all things to all people because I think I wasn't sure how to not. So what I did was I showed up everywhere. I did everything but I took Sky with me. You just had a baby. I, li- yeah, I had a baby on <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I literally had a baby on me at all times. And every shoot I went to, we made sure that there was like a room and there was a place for him. And like, you know, but to be honest, in hindsight, like that was fantastic for a bit because I do believe that's why he's such an adaptable kid. And, and I think it's also why he's so great around adults. Sure. Um, because he was around so many, like from birth, honestly, around new faces and new places. No, really? Um, was, yeah. And, but at the same time, in hindsight, for me, I got to a point where I realized, and I think it's about when he started preschool, that I wasn't giving 100% of myself to either when they were both there. Yeah. It was hard because I was like, oh, he's in the other room. I'm going to go hold him and da, 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 you know, and, and then when I was at work, I was like distracted. And when I was him, I was trying to do work and I was doing these calls while he was on my lap and I was breastfeeding, you know, it was, it was a little hard. Yeah. And so I think by the time I had Caius, I was sort of like, okay, I know how to do this. Like, I know when I can leave him. I know when I don't, I know, you know, and I think it's, that's why I always have such a bleeding heart for new moms because I really understand how hard it is. Yeah. It, on every on every level, you know? Right. And I think when you don't work, it's 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 a bit different because your whole world can revolve around yeah. your newborn. But when there's other people counting on you and your name's on that door, you can't just like vanish. The stakes are very different. Yes. Yeah. And and it's 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 hard. And I you know, I opened a nursery in, in our company that year because it really bothered me that I would show up to work with my baby and there were six other new moms that year, your sister-in-law being one of them. Yes, yeah. And it really bothered me that they didn't have their baby because I know for me, and listen, everybody handles new motherhood a totally different way. Sure. But I think it's only fair for companies to have the option 
for them to bring the baby. And not everyone takes it. And I think that was my biggest learning Yeah, is that half the moms wanted their babies there and half the moms didn't want their babies there because they very much liked the compartmentalization. They liked the separation. They liked being a hundred percent with baby. They liked being a hundred percent at work and then a hundred percent with baby at night, you know? Exactly. And I, and I respect that and understand it. And Everyone's different, but I think it's only fair in my opinion, especially with these large companies to really offer that option. Right. Because I actually found that the moms were more productive when the babies were there because they didn't feel that pull. I got to get home. I got to get home. I got to get home. What's he doing now? Oh, did the nanny call me? Where are they? Did daycare call me? You know, it's like, it's, it's, it just, I found was, I don't know. I feel like like it's so interesting because like, like you were saying about big companies or employers looking to hire women specifically, mm-hmm. I feel like there used to be this slant stigma. or stigma yeah. that if you are hiring a mother... That they were going to check they, out. They weren't going to be fully whatever, dialed 100%. in or whatever. Yep. And I think it's flipped so much, probably because of the pandemic in just the sense of we all work differently now. Yes. But that it's actually those employees are some of the most time and efficient and productive people on a team because they have, they get their stuff done. They know what they have to do because they're on to the next. So I think it's just interesting for women in general now that like it's, it's no longer an eye roll or look down on if you're a working woman. This podcast is sponsored by ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Um, no, in just, fact, one of the most successful stylists that I know um, has two young children. And I talked to her about it and I was like, how do you do that? Because styling is really hard to do. Sure, yeah. And we had Carla Welsh on. Who, right very openly talked about how hard it was and the sacrifices she made leaving her, her child. Yeah. And, um, another friend of mine has a stylist said she loves it. She loves leaving her kids because it's like, she really enjoys coming home to them. Yeah. And she really enjoys leaving them because it's, it's like her time. Yeah. If that makes sense. No. And I found that so fascinating and so admirable, actually. Yeah. Well, cause you're so different. I mean, you're like I know, any some. free time you're yeah, sandwiched between I am two I wonder little boys. I wonder if it's cause I'm an older mom. You know, I always Maybe. say that. I think, I don't know. I feel like, I also feel like my cup when I started having kids, my cup was so full yeah, and, and almost like overflowing with stimulation and things that I've done and excitement. And it's almost like I had so many checks that I sort of was like, 
I was missing the phone. I didn't have FOMO. Right. And I think what I find with my friends that are younger moms, there's a lot of FOMO. Sure. Because they spend their twenties and thirties having kids, young kids. Right. And they feel in a way that they've missed the like dancing on tables, irresponsibility. There's like a suspension mm-hmm. and yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. And I danced on enough tables. Would love to see it now. Would you love see it every to once, see. In, every a once, once in a while. Once a year or two. Once in a while. Once a year or two, I let it go. Uh, so for the Rachel Zoe, for Rachel Zoe collection, mm-hmm. was that an opportunity that you sought out because no. you, or did it present itself to you and you said yes? It presented itself to me in one that I was never looking for because when I became a stylist and after the first sort of couple of years of being a like considered a successful stylist, it, it's a little bit like when you get engaged and then everyone's like, when do you get married? When do you get married? When do you get married? And then you get married and everyone's like, when do you have kids? When do you have kids? When are you going to get pregnant? Yeah. Right. So as a stylist, everyone was like, when are you going to do your own collection? Because I was so collaborative with so many designers and I was so uh, hands-on in the design process. And I think that... And and many stylists are. Not all, but many are. And more and more, and more um, now. Um, but everyone said, when are you going to do your online? And I actually said, never. Which is why I stand here telling you, I will never see never again. Because everything I said I'd never do in my life, I've done. You've definitely done. Literally. <laughs> everything I was like, <laughs> and you've never done, would I write a book. Like, done them? You've like really <laughs> done them. Um, it's wild. And so... Um, I didn't want to become a clothing designer because I knew what it meant. Right. And I think having so many dear friends that are so successful at it and some that aren't as successful at it, many that are, because not everyone is a Marc Jacobs or, you know, I mean, a a Vera Wang or, you know, I can name a hundred others, but like I knew how scary and how competitive and how difficult I, I had been on the inside enough to know that I didn't really want to do that. It's not easy. No. Yeah. And I got an opportunity that was seemingly perfect and nothing's perfect as we know. And, you know, I just said, okay, why not? Why not? Like, let me be the creative director. Let me create because that is what I do best. And then let our partners produce, manufacture. Yeah. So. Yeah. When you started, what was your ethos? What was your inspiration? What were you trying to give consumers that they didn't have access to? Well, I found, I felt like there was this huge white space for glamour at a price point. And when I say glamour, I really sort of compare it to the sort of 70s glamour meets like Tom Ford and his like Gucci YSL era. And that sort of like I wanted to sort of bring all of the glamour of the 70s in a modern way and 60s, honestly, in a very modern, contemporary way at a really attainable price point. And attainable, when I say attainable, still contemporary, not like at fast fashion prices. Yeah. Um, And in hindsight, I kind of wish I launched at an even more affordable price point. But I just think with like what production costs and everything else, it just got more expensive. But anyway, that was my goal was to really... And what's funny about clothing is that something very affordable to some is something so unreachable for many. Totally. And 
it was funny because in the same literal hour that I was doing interviews or that different customers would come up to me, they're like, oh my God, I just bought six of your suits to one blank designer that I could have bought. You know, yours fit me better and whatever. And these other ones that I were getting were $10,000 and I got sick, you know. And it was funny because there was this customer that found this so like they would buy 10 pieces. Yeah. And then I would get all these amazing people who were such fans of the collection. They would be like, I love it, but I can't afford a suit. But when it goes on sale and da-da-da place. So I found myself in this very like conflicted place as a designer because I really wanted to... I really wanted to be so attainable to so many, sure. you know? Yeah. So I was, I was struggled a bit with that, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I really loved making beautiful things. The process. Of yeah, it. it did. So in when, the beginning, when you're designing, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> in the beginning. When you're designing and you have a team that's working on the designs with you, mm-hmm. did you ever struggle or have a hard time approving or putting your thumbs up on something that you know personally you wouldn't wear. Yes. But that other people in yes. the design team are saying, this is trending or yes. this is cool. Yes. And that was hard That was hard for you to imagine. <sighs> you because know, you yourself, you have such a specific, defined, mm-hmm. iconic look and style to yourself. And I was just curious if you ever were like... It was like a struggle for you to say, you know what? I'm going to do... Mm-hmm. A mini dress. Yeah. Because I know you're not going to wear a mini dress. Well, you know, I think that's where my like styling came in handy because I styled so many different types of women with different styles and different bodies. That was incredibly helpful um, as a designer because there was a lot of things that I designed and I said, I would never in a million years wear this, but I'll do this with a long version and a bell sleeve and a whatever. And you know, I would make a skinny pan or a little cigarette pan. And you know, I'd only wear the wide leg or the flare, right? And like, I have friends that would, when I say never wear a long dress, even to black ties, they wear minis. Their legs are always out. Yeah. Minis, middies to the knee. Like there's, there's no gown in their life. And even if there is, it's short in the front, long in the back. Right. So I think for me, that wasn't the challenge for me. I think the challenge for me was honestly designing at a price point because the things that I dreamed of, and I think that was where my styling career actually hurt me a bit because I was working with the best of the best of the best to create these like couture one of a kind looks right. and then to try and sort of like make these gowns at certain price points with materials that. I I did love and in certain cases I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, this is just as good as the one that I, you know, right. made for so and so or designed for so and so. But there were definitely those challenges. And I found a lot of the times that the things that I loved the most and was the most excited about didn't get produced. And that was that was actually the bigger challenge for me, honestly. Like pieces you loved in the line yeah. and they just yeah. didn't see the light of day. Yeah. Like a coat that was like an art piece that like, but not like unwearable in any way, but it just would never make it. It just wasn't commercial enough, you know? Right. And I think that's ultimately why I just started to lose my love for being a designer, you know, because, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated business. And I think it's a business where for me it became 10% creative and 90% just politics and business. And right. And it I lost the love for it. And I think 
when I set out to be a designer, it was meant to be a part of my job, not my entire job. And I think the ones that most people know of where like the Tory Burch or the Vera Wang or the Michael Kors, it's like they are designers. They are designers through and through. Right. And that is who they are. And that is, that's their life mission and dream. And, that's it. Yeah. You know, and I think for me to try and make that part of the dream, it's a very hard thing to do. Right. I mean, it's a testament though to the line because every, a lot of places you go, I hear women tell you, I still am obsessed yes. with this suit or the every day. pants. Every day. Or this velvet blazer yep. or whatever. So, and by the way, I still wear all my clothes. I do, literally yeah. wear them almost every day. I wear my collection. And yes, everywhere I go, people are like, oh my God, your suit's my favorite. Your, you know, this gown that I got from you in 2000 and whatever it was, or like, I still wear it to every black tie. And that, listen, that makes me so happy. And I'm happy to design again. I just can't make it my full-time job. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Yeah. You know, like I, I'd like to design for others and I'd like to be a creative director forever for everything. Yeah. Maybe you do know? a collab here. hundred percent. hundred percent. So what was your proudest moment as a designer? Oh, that's easy. My proudest moment as a designer, well, my very first collection, J-Lo came out literally like all of a sudden she just was in this like paparazzi shot wearing my white mini tuxedo dress. The queen. Um, And that was like a, that was like a, I couldn't even breathe, you know, because, and Taylor Swift wore my clothes and Olivia Wilde wore my, and I, and unsolicited, like it wasn't, right. I didn't send them out. I didn't beg stylists to put them on. And I think for me, that was an ultimate, like surreal moment because I was like, oh my God, like I'm on the other side of this now. This is wild. Like, like I didn't pay anyone to wear this. I didn't send these to anybody. Like I didn't beg anyone. I didn't ask for a favor. They, they just chose, chose to wear these. This. So yeah. that was like, for me, a really a dream moment for many reasons because it was stylists that were supporting me, which was huge because in my day, stylists did not support each other. So that was really big. Um, and that was Carla Welsh and Robin Muriel um, supporting me and Joseph Cassell, Taylor Swift stylist. And um, so that was amazing. And then also just sort of witnessing it kind of feeling that rush that I had been giving designers throughout my career. And I understood what it felt like to see your clothes in the wild on the biggest stars in the world. That was just completely surreal to me. And so that was really amazing. But I would say 
without question, the most proud moment I had as a designer was when I started to sketch, think about, like really create in my mind a look for the Met Ball in 2012, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I created a look for Carolina Kirkova, one of the biggest supermodels who's still a very dear friend. And created this look for her. And it was an homage that year to Scaparelli. And just, you know, she wore this incredible head wrap and this gown and just the way that I imagined the dress, it came out like as I dreamed of it. And, and it was sort of this like 360 moment in my career where it was like being a designer, being a stylist, being a collaborator, Carolina, just amused forever just wearing it and her standing like this tall, beautiful swan. And, right. and the way that she stood on the carpet was like, it was almost like that's why they're supermodels, right? You really yeah. understand <laughs> in those moments that what makes them supermodels is the fact that they just know how to stand. They know how to move. They know how to pose. They know how to bring something to life. And, you know, that was really when I think about it, like the biggest dream of my life. Of uh, it was all my creativity and all of my like hard work and my team and the the guy that the design director the art director uh, design director who was working with me at the time Eric just we all just it just came true yeah. on every front and it was I a went fashion to, fairy tale it was a fashion fairy tale and after that I just remember going I can I can retire like I I'm done <laughs> yeah because because at that point I just said like I'm done yeah I, it, this can't get better for me. Like right. this was well, the most a perfectionist like you, <laughs> for you to be thoroughly happy with the way it turned out. That it, I would also say to you, you should retire. <laughs> and I secondarily made a dress for myself that was like a fringe dress that weighed like eight hundred pounds. Oh gosh! And I I loved the dress. I really do need to wear that again. Um, but I was so secondary, and I did my. I remember getting my makeup done, and I like hated my makeup because I just. I was so nervous. Honestly, right. I was so nervous. That Met carpet is so terrifying. And I was so nervous that the gown was going to rip and her, Carolina, something was going to go wrong. And like, it's just my stylist mentality. Like yeah. anything that could go wrong in those moments typically does. And you were preparing terrifying. for the worst. I was. And so I was super anxious. And when I look at those pictures, I literally think like I'm going to my grave. <laughs> like I literally look, I'm white as a ghost. My You're terrified. I, I was terrified. Aww. I was so nervous. So yeah, I mean, I'm still, you know, I definitely in those moments, like I definitely still get butterflies and I still think about everything that can go wrong. Honestly. Yeah. That doesn't change. That doesn't, you don't change who you are. I still am exactly that person as you know. I mean, that makes sense though. <laughs> so you have created the Rachel Zoe collection. You just spoke about how one of the missions or goals for you was to create something that was attainable mm -hmm. or you wanted it to be attainable to as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a great cue for us to talk about Curator. Yes. And what the mission, what it is and what the mission of Curator was formerly called Box of Style. Yep. Because that is the perfect example of you wanting to bring your love of glamour and fashion and style to the masses. Mm -hmm. So box of style, yep. as it was originally called. Yep. So I think through 
So Roger coming from media and internet and everything else, literally, I think we wanted to figure out a way that I could touch style and curate for as many women as possible. And we set out to figure out how I could actually do that. How can I... Because there wasn't a day that passed where like my social media and at the time, like mostly Twitter and, right. and Instagram, like, I wish you could style me. What should I wear to this? What, you know, and everywhere I went, no matter where I was in the world, do you like this dress? Do you like what yeah. I'm wearing? Don't look at me. Like, da, 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 da. What do I wear to the wedding? And I think Curator was really born out of the mission to try and help women with basically every aspect of their life, how to get dressed, how to entertain, how to have that perfect piece of jewelry every season. Which one do I buy? What do I need for my life? And really try and make a selection of luxury fashion and beauty items that got delivered to your door so you didn't have to do anything. Um, And really do a curation every season for every woman, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was really... The idea of this and Roger really, it was really his idea. And then we, we started to just kind of, you know, ideate and just kind of figure out what it would look like and, and what that could be. And that's really how Curator started. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Right. And I think it's interesting to think about, I mean, Curator is and was, it's a subscription modeled business. Mm -hmm. And I think when Box of Style started, that was such it was a popular business model. Yes. And I think it's so interesting because you and Roger have really stayed true to the mission of Curator with yep. serving mm-hmm. as many women as you, as you can in terms of giving them all of their fashion, beauty, lifestyle needs, yep. meeting them through Curator. But I think it's just so interesting because what you've built maintaining the subscription model is like a real community now. Mm-hmm of women. And it's such a natural and interesting extension of you, Rachel Zoe, as the stylist, Mm -hmm. as a creative director, as a designer, uh, all your titles, Mm -hmm. to have this really engaged and uh, excited community of women Mm -hmm. that love what you're providing to them season Mm -hmm. over season. And, And Curator, and you definitely can speak this better than I can. It it offers so much more now yep. than when we started, which was five products yep. every season. Yeah. And I think, listen, I think the mission for me is really to try and 
help women with that horrible, terrifying process of what to buy each season and also provide this curation at a price, right? And give, you know, incredible value for, you know, so much less. Basically, you're getting so much for so little. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. I mean, it's really, and just, you know, creating content around each item and how to wear it and how to style it and why you should have it. And what I found is honestly, it's the greatest gift. It it is an excellent gift. People are obsessed with gifting curator because it's literally the gift that keeps on giving. I hate to like use cliches, but like it really does. Yeah. And it's funny. Every time I give them to people, the emails that I get are just like, oh my God, I never want to stop getting this. I never, like, I'm so obsessed with this. I gave this to my sister. She gave, you know, her last season's, you know, blanket to me because she already had a blanket, but I gave her my necklace. It's like this great, like trading thing. It's just it's like barter uh, system. Is. Yeah. It's really fun. It kind of reminds me of like being younger and just having like favorite things and like sort of just meeting your friends and like going over your things. And I don't know, it's, it's just, I don't know. I have a lot of fun doing it. Our team has so much fun working on it. And, you know, I think it's a, a great, it's just a great sort of community yeah, know, that we've built that just love it. It's amazing. It's really great. And, you know, if you follow on social media, you'll see different events that Curator does. And it's really just become a very exciting part of your world. Yeah. And growing too. Yeah. And a growing part of your world, yeah. which is cool. So I also want to touch on because while we've talked about your career in sort of three chunks, if you will, or sections woven throughout or 80 or 80, uh, woven throughout all of this, I just want you to talk about your philanthropy Mm -hmm. because I know personally how important it is to you and how much time and energy and literally uh, treasure <laughs> you've donated so much. Like just talking about the charities that have been important to you yep. throughout your adulthood. Well, I mean, listen, I think I have made it at some point you sort of have to pick and choose, right? You have to yeah. pick and choose where you're going to put both your time efforts, um, your emotional efforts and your financial efforts. Right. And it became very clear to me, funny enough, before I became a mother, that my focus was going to be kids, children's, um, charities, children's yeah. charities and different foundations and organizations, as well as women's, um, cancers and the like. And it's hard for me because my heart sort of dictates my decision-making most of the time. And I will say yes to everything. And what ended up happening was I started to, I became an early board member of baby to baby, I think from day one, along with one of my best friends, who's one of the founders, Kelly Sawyer Patrickoff and her co-president Nora Weinstein and baby to baby. We started the first year, we raised $25,000. Yeah. And then last year, just under $12 million at the gala 10 years later. So it's incredible. But we also went from serving local children and families to serving all over the country and around the world and creating our own diapers and things like that, because the need is so mind boggling, overwhelming, and especially since post pandemic. And I know where every dollar of that money goes. And I can tell you 
that being part of organizations like Baby to Baby, being an ambassador for Save the Children, which literally the work that Save the Children does is immeasurable Mm -hmm. around the world and affecting, you know, they're like the first ones there in any disaster. Listen, if I didn't have 18 jobs, I can tell you without question, it's the only thing I would do is work with Baby to Baby, even more, Save the Children, Children's Hospital LA, St. Jude's, um, all of it. Uh, I've also been very involved with um, CORE Response, which is an organization that Sean Penn started. And he started after the big Haiti earthquake. I don't know how many years ago it is, maybe 10. I feel like it's been a while now, yeah. But I mean, completely devastated Haiti. I mean, completely devastated Haiti. But what Sean has gone on to do, and I say Sean and his partner, Anne, they are on the ground. This is not like Sean Penn, hey, I'm doing a a charity. This is Sean Penn flying to every place and literally living there himself in the unsafe, unhealthy conditions and, you know, really making a huge impact. And in COVID, they did. Listen, I could go on for days. CORE is unreal. And they are, again, also first ones on the ground in disaster around the world in the Ukraine this year. And it goes on. So what I would say to that is my philanthropic involvement and efforts, it it never feels like enough. Um, And unfortunately, there's so much need with all of it. And I'm I'm also involved with BCRF, Breast Cancer Research Foundation and WCRF. And listen, cancer organizations, children's organizations, hunger, all of it, you guys, there's just so much that has to be done. And I come from this school of if you have a voice and you have a platform, you have to use it. You don't have to, you choose what you do. But I will say it really gets under my skin, people that do have these tremendous platforms and don't use it for certain organizations. And sometimes you, in my opinion, you can really tell the people that do it for PR (laughs) do it because they really do it. So yeah, I mean, I I wish I could do even more, but it's important to me that woven very deeply throughout my family um, with not just me, but really, really ingraining that in my kids from, you know, I would realistically say that Skylar started to understand it at five, not before that. I tried before that, but they don't really have a a grasp on what it means. Sure. But I do, I do recommend that people bring their kids into um, organizations, local, anything, just so that like our kids of privilege can see the real world as soon as they're able to really understand what that means, Mm -hmm. you know? Raise empathetic children. Yeah. Have to. That's our responsibility. Yeah. You know, at least that's how I feel. I can't tell people how to parent. I can try. I can try. Or we'll just start a parenting podcast. Oh God. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. For doing this part three with me. (laughs) Anytime, babe. Anytime. Let me know when we're doing four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Stay tuned, everyone. Want my style advice from season to season? That's exactly what you'll get when you sign up for my membership, Curator. Every three months, I'll send you my favorite fashion, beauty, and lifestyle products, all valued at over $400 and yours for just $125 per season. Everything has been selected to make you feel extra chic and confident in spring, summer, fall, and winter and elevate your everyday while letting your personal style shine through. And when you head to curator.com, that's C-U-R-A-T-E-U-R.com, 
you'll receive an exclusive offer. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to more of my story. I think there might be a part four, five, six, seven, eight. I have no idea. But again, I'm only 37 years old, so it's not that long. I've just done a lot. So I hope you're a little bit inspired or at least entertained by these conversations. And if you want more Climbing in Heels content, follow me on at Rachel Zoe and at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram for more updates on upcoming guests, episodes, and all things curator. And I will see you all next week.